This isn't Grandma's radio show. We talk about slobber knocking fights. Ground and pound. Rear naked jokes. Plug your ears if you don't want to hear it. It's coming up next, another brand new episode of Sucker Radio. This is MMA fight music producer Mikey Ruckus, and you are listening to another edition of Sucker Radio with your host, Jeremy Brand. Be sure to catch all your mixed martial arts news and interviews and updates at www.mmasucker.com. Welcome back, fight fans. Another brand new episode of Sucker Radio here on MMASucker.com. I have a fantastic show for your listening pleasure this week. Um, this past weekend, there was no UFC, but there is a ton of mixed martial arts action this upcoming weekend, including UFC Fight Night 65 from Adelaide, Australia, with some heavyweight fighters in the main event. Between Stipe Miocic and Mark Hunt. This one is a very pivotal sort of fight for for the heavyweight division. I mean, uh, two of these guys, knockout artists, looking to gain that upper step into the upper echelon of the heavyweight division. And these two clashing in the main event. One will succeed, the other will drop down the ladder. Um, It's a four-fight main card airing live on UFC Fight Pass, which also features middleweight Brad Tavares versus Robert Whitaker, light heavyweight action between Anthony Paroche and Sean O'Connell, and kicking off the main card are lightweights Jake Matthews and James Vick. Joining me this week, though, is a guy who will fight on UFC Philippines Fight Card in a couple weeks from now. Mr. Raging Cajun Johnson will join the show. Also featured on this show is uh, the man behind the Black Zillions. You see him week in, week out on the new Ultimate Fighter. He is Glenn Robinson. He'll join us to talk about the Ultimate Fighter. He'll join us to talk about um, everything from uh, the Black Zillions to how they became relevant to up-and-coming guys that they have on the scene. So I look forward to you guys listening to the Glenn Robinson interview. I also want to talk about the other fight cards that are coming up this weekend. We have Tachi, we have Glory, which is featuring one of our local cats, Ken Tran from Vancouver, will be fighting on the Glory event this Friday night. Also, RFA versus Legacy, uh, a true super card, if you may, on Access TV. Legacy will take on Resurrection Fighting Alliance, which is pretty damn cool. Uh, Many have talked about this in the past. We've heard Bellator versus World Series of Fighting. Well, these guys are actually doing it. RFA versus Legacy goes down this weekend. And uh, also Metamoris, the grappling competition, will go down this weekend as well. You know, the UFC released um, the Reebok sponsorship pay structure today. And it's got a lot of people scratching their heads. It's got... um, People from one to five fights within the UFC organization will make a measly $2,500 per fight, sponsorship-wise. These guys could be could have been making a crap load of money on the outside, but now it's not going to happen. Starting July, this is the way the pay structure works. One to five fights, $2,500. Six to ten fights, $5,000. Eleven to fifteen fights, $10,000. And 16 to 20 fights, 
15,000. The top of the echelon is 21 fights and more, which there aren't a heck of a lot of those guys in the UFC, will get $20,000 from Reebok. The way things change up a little bit, title challengers will receive $30,000 and the champions will always receive $40K. This doesn't include guys like uh, Conor McGregor, Anthony Pettis, even Olivier Aubin-Mercier from uh, up here in Canada. These guys are sponsored by Reebok, as is Paige Van Zandt. They're all sponsored by Reebok, so they have a different sort of deal. They will get their money per fight. So the one to five fights, like Conor McGregor, he'll get his twenty five hundred bucks. Plus, he's a title challenger. He'll get thirty thousand. That's thirty one thousand five hundred dollars. Plus, he has this Reebok contract, which none of us know about. So uh, he'll get some extra cash in the bank. But then there's guys like Brendan Schaub who tweeted out following this uh, announcement, which was emailed to each and every UFC fighter. Just shy of 600 fighters, the UFC sent out the email to tell them the numbers that they were going to be making. And Brendan Schaub initially tweeted out, I made six figures in my last five fights. Each of his last five fights, he made six figures from sponsors. Whether you believe it or not, who cares? He's going to be losing out on a crap load of money because of this Reebok deal. So a lot of guys aren't making what they used to make in terms of Reebok or in terms of sponsorship, which absolutely sucks. It sucks for the fighters and 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 it's going to ruin everything. So uh, I could see a lot of guys, and this is just my personal opinion, I could see a lot of guys moving and and playing the field once their UFC contract is up. We could see Bellator, who has a shitload of money behind them because of Viacom, picking up a lot of these UFC-talented fighters because of the sponsorship money. Now, unless you're in it, which all fighters are in it to win a UFC championship, but if you're not at that level and you know you're never going to be at that level, which mentally speaking, a lot of UFC fighters all, in fact, all UFC fighters think that they're going to win a title. But if you have the mental capacity to realize, hey, I'm not quite at that level. I'm never going to be at that level to win the UFC belt. I'm, I'm not knocking on that door right now. And, and my age is getting up there. Well, what's stopping you from heading over to Bellator and making a crap load more money than you would with this Reebok deal? It's interesting. We will see what happens. And that's that. But... This past weekend, I mean, if you weren't living under a rock, then you know that the biggest fight, well, considered the biggest fight in the century between Manny Pacquiao and Floyd Mayweather went down. Joining me now is a man who used to write for MMA Sucker. He used to be the host of Sucker Radio, and uh, he now has a million other gigs going on. But to go over this fight, I'm joined by Trevor Duick. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your day, man. I'm back, man. You are. It's great to hear your voice. I'm, I'm excited to have you on to talk about this, uh, this mm. boxing match. Not MMA, but boxing. Yeah, I know. Crazy, eh? Um, you know, that's exactly what it was. It was a boxing match. I don't think it was really a fight, per se. No, and and that's the thing that that got me on Twitter. There were lots of people that were hating on this fight, not because um, it seemed like they almost didn't know 
what boxing really was. They were those MMA fans, and that's my timeline, right? My timeline on Twitter is mixed martial arts and yeah. uh, and media and whatnot. So a lot of these guys are watching the fight and they're thinking, hey, Manny Pacquiao is in there. You know, he's controlling the ring. He's doing this. Maybe he's done enough to win the fight. But Floyd Mayweather, on the other hand, has has some of the best boxing defense in the game. He wins by moving around running. And, and running away, basically, and landing those one or two counter punches per round to win the round. Um, now, I don't know what your timeline was like, but some people loved it, and I know you yourself did not like it at all. Um, I finally watched it uh, recently, but uh, I, um, you know, no, I didn't like it. To be honest, it was a lot of uh, hugging, a lot of moving. You call it moving. I call it backing away and kind of running from the fight. Um, I don't know, but you get what you get with a Mayweather fight, right? I mean, as people say, you know what you're getting. That's why I wasn't really too uh, stoked about the fight as other people were. I I didn't think Pacquiao was going to stand a chance, to be honest, against Mayweather. It's just Mayweather has fought aggressive guys like Pacquiao in the past, and he just knows how to make guys miss. And so it makes for a boring boxing match and yeah yeah and that's what I was gonna say is I I was surprised by the way Manny took to this fight because going into it he had to know the way Floyd Mayweather was going to fight this fight he knew that he was going to move backwards he knew that he was going to be defensive and other than round number four Manny Pacquiao had nothing yeah and um you know, hey, look, I know there's boxing purists out there who will say, well, that's just, it was just a show of, you know, very good technical display of boxing. Absolutely. I completely respect that. Um, but that style of boxing is what's killing the sport. Uh, Mayweather's, uh, you know, he may go down as some may say the greatest of all time. I, I, I don't even put him in, the, I maybe put him in the top 10 of all time. Um, sure. He's got a fancy record, but his style is what's killing the sport. And, um, it might be super technical to shit, but I mean, so is uh, synchronized swimming. It's not, you know, <laughs> it's not, it doesn't mean it's exciting to watch. It's just not what fighting used to be. It's not really what boxing used to be. Boxing used to be able to get some awards. Guys go in there and may the last guys, you know, standing win pretty much. Right. And so that's how it works. And used to be some slugfest in boxing. And you look at the Sugar Ray Leonard. Sugar Ray Leonard was a defensive boxer, but he was a counterpuncher. But God, he made it look exciting, you know? That he did. And speaking of killing boxing, you had an article come out earlier this week in the 24-hour newspaper up here in Vancouver. You can also read it online. Titled, Pro Boxing is Dead. And you received quite a bit of feedback on this. Just sort of go over it for the people that didn't read the article, not in whole, obviously, but just go over your thoughts on on the fact that you think pro boxing is dead. So boxing, like I made that uh, announcement in my little title of, it wasn't really anything that no one else was saying. There was other people besides me saying the same thing. It's just, you watch that fight, and the whole point was is that you watch that fight and you got all these eyes, even the casual fan like me. I'm not a boxing aficionado by any by any means. There are some people out there who do a way better job of covering the sport and know how to talk about it. I'm just talking as a casual fan who likes combat sports, boxing being one of them. I want to like boxing. Um, but you have a lot of eyes, people like me, and people who are even less than casual fans who are watching the fight, and that's what they got. And it wasn't just that fight. The undercard itself wasn't that great either. And I don't know if it was just bad matchmaking um, but it just, it was just it kind of, you know, you got to the main event and it was just sort of 
like he's like people are calling it a technical fight. Um, it just wasn't that exciting, and it's just too bad because uh, you probably boxing had a real opportunity to start to make a resurgence. Now, hey, look, I get it. I get it. Boxing is not really dead. Um, <laughs> it's big in other parts of the world. Okay, I get that Germany and I get. Uh, Japan and all these other places around the world, Russia, they love their boxing. Um, I'm th- saying North America here, here in Canada, y- you know, the United States and in my bubble, um, boxing is way, way down as far as people's excitement. And, and this last fight didn't really convert any new believers. It, it still makes me believe that if you want to watch good fights, watch, watch mixed martial arts. As I saw on uh, there, there I posted your article on my Facebook page, and it got a ton of comments on it. And I noticed that that a lot of people were bringing up, you know, the fact that they were still doing boxing fights on NBC, and they were doing the the boxing on Spike, and and these things are drawing big numbers. So obviously, in a lot of people's eyes, pro boxing is not dead in North America. No, but they sure keep shooting themselves, don't they? I mean, they may not be dead, but goddamn, they're on life support. And every chance they get a chance to, you know, be resuscitated, they take a gun out again and stick it to their ankles and blow their feet off again. And it's just, it's, uh, it's too bad because, yeah, I want boxing to succeed. Why not? Just like I want wrestling to succeed. I want, you know, all these different, you know, kickboxing, you know, you got with, with, with glory and, and just all these great, fantastic, uh, combat sports out there. You, we want them to succeed because they're all also aspects of mixed martial arts as well, right? I mean, let's not forget boxing is a martial art that mixed martial arts, you you know, athletes use. Um, but to see guys in the top of their game in boxing is is fantastic. But it's just Mayweather just kills it, man. It's just they had such a op- great opportunity to make headway and, and convert new fans. I, I, you know, again, I'm not an, a boxing expert. I know that there's some more big fights coming that might sway people. I just wish that, uh, you know, the sport could get out of the doldrum. Now, as far as, as far as the cable thing, that's a great step in the right direction. They should be putting free fights on television. They haven't been doing that for years. I know they're doing it on spike. Uh, you were saying NBC. Um, I'm sure there's going to be other networks out there. They're going to put boxing on, um, but we all know the inherent problems in the sport. It's not just TV deals. You know, showing free fights is great, but you also want people to know who the contenders are. And did you leave that fight in, or that you know that fight last weekend and go, oh man, I can't wait for Floyd Mayweather to fight? I don't know. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. Who's the contenders? I mean, you don't know. There's too many belts, Jeremy. There's just too many, too many belts, too many, even too many weight classes. I mean, I guess it depends on how you look at the weight class thing. I can go either way. Uh, maybe more weight classes, you know, help. Um, I don't know as far as, you know, losing weight and sorry, weight cutting and, and whatnot. Maybe there needs to be more of that in MMA. I don't know. That's a whole other argument for another day. But um, boxing in itself, though, is just killing itself. People don't know who the stars are. People don't know who has the belt. And it's just it's too much greed. It's killed it. And um, I'd like to see it come back. Not even the boxing itself killed it for me, but... The lead up to the to the boxing match on the pay per view event itself, the fact that it took fifty minutes in between the co main event to the main event, fucking drove me crazy. How many times yeah. do I need to see the weigh in? How many times do I need to see Floyd Mayweather talk about how much money he has? I don't give a shit. Get to the fucking fights. The timeline. You know, UFC fans complain about UFC on Fox and Fox Sports One and the timing of that shit. Well, this boxing match was brutal. Yeah, man. I, I guess what they had—they were having pay-per-view problems. 
um, too many people were ordering the pay-per-view, and I guess it blew the system. I don't know, but they were having issues, and so they delayed the main event as much as they could until they could get as many uh, buys as possible. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> Let's make some yeah. more money while we're at it. Yeah, exactly, man. And, and you know, the pacing of the show was horrible. Um, it was just a bad showcase all around, and, and I just think that that was the final nail in the coffin for a lot of people who really want to like boxing. I want to like it, like I said, and um, I just felt that, like, uh, you know, maybe I'll watch another fight again. I mean, I love fighting. Let's, let's be honest here. Mixed martial arts, boxing, whatever. Um, you know, we're all suckers for it. We'll watch again. We say we never will. So in some senses, it's not really dead, but God damn, it's on life support. <laughs> <laughs> there you have it, Trevor Duett giving his opinion on pro boxing. Man, it's been a pleasure to have you back on Sucker Radio. I said at the beginning that you got a million things going on. Just let our listeners know what you have going on and, and where they can find you. Um, Yeah, man, I'm on Twitter at Trev Duick, D-U-E-C-K, so that's Trev Duick. And um, I uh, write for Van City Buzz. I do movie reviews and other interesting pieces. Um, they kind of just throw me a bunch of you know, work. And so that's been nice. Um, I'm also writing for the 24 hours Vancouver doing my MMA column. You can pretty much read that every Monday. Um, I always share it off my Twitter and 24 hours Vancouver. Um, it's in the paper, like I said, and, uh, that's pretty much, uh, that's what I'm doing right now. I got the podcast, of course, Knights of Dunsmuir and that's on Van City Buzz. Give it a listen. There might be a certain guy who's on the other side of this phone call that might be on very, very soon. So, um, dude, it's always great talking fights with you and getting back on here on Sucker Radio. It's been in good hands, I know, since uh, since I left, and it's nice to see you uh, rocking it still. Thanks a lot, man. Really appreciate having you on, and I, I'm sure we will have you on again in, in the not-so-distant future. Oh, absolutely. Anytime. <laughs> Joining me now is the man behind Black Zillions and a guy who you can see weekly on this season's The Ultimate Fighter. Please welcome Glenn Robinson to Sucker Radio. Glenn, thanks for joining me today, man. Hey, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. For sure. Now, before we get to The Ultimate Fighter, obviously the big news of the week is the change in events um, at UFC 187 with Anthony Rumble Johnson now taking on... Daniel Cormier in the main event instead of John Jones. Just talk us through your week. When did you find out Jones was out of the fight? And was it sort of like the rest of us woken up on Sunday morning with texts and tweets? Honestly, I think for the UFC, it was even for the, like the rest of us. I mean, we all kind of learned what was going on through Twitter. And I believe the UFC had the same. I mean, this is just my opinion. The UFC was learning just the same way we did. And we followed the story along, and um, a couple of days ago, they flew to Albuquerque and called us up and gave us the information just about 10 minutes before Dana White went on air with Fox Sports. Wow. So you, I guess you were in shock when you found out as well. That. That they were that they were uh, taking him from stripping the title from him. Well, that and no. I, just everything in general, the fact that Jones had had been involved in this hit and run. I mean, that that shocked pretty much everyone. Why did it shock you? It didn't shock you that that this guy had done that. You know, I mean, of course it was surprising, but I mean, it's not the first incident the guy had. You know, I mean, we wish him the best. First and foremost, we hope him and, and his family is, is you know all right. I mean that's the most important thing. But this isn't John's first first uh, issue, and 
It was, it was more one of the more surprising ones, but not the first one. And uh, I believe the UFC made the right decision. So um, I wasn't completely, you know, when, after a few, after you hear what happened at the, you know, drug testing after his last event, even though it wasn't, you know, in the course of, uh, you know, in the course of fighting and things he's done in the past, after a while, like, he needs help. Yeah, and for he, sure. I mean, I mean, and I and I I, I hope he gets it because he, you know, I know John, I, I know him from the past, and I I co I co managed him for a very brief time with Malkitawa, very very brief time. So I I think John's a good person at heart. I think it uh, he won the title at a very early age, and that he you know gained wealth at a very early age, and and I think that um, I, I my my hope is that he gets the help he needs because I think he's a good person at heart. Yeah, it's got to be tough for, for young athletes coming up in front of the bright lights and, and whatnot. You have plenty of fighters that you manage and have around at Black Zillions. Um, with this Jones mishap, what plans do you have in place for your guys to not go down the same road? Well, I mean, I'm you know, I I'm very involved in my athletes' lives, and you could talk to Anthony Johnson and ask him. You know, I... I there's not a day that goes by that I don't talk to most of my athletes. I'm, I'm very involved in their lives. So I, you know, I, it just won't happen. Yeah. <laughs> Were you worried at all that, that Johnson was going to be pulled from this fight card? No, I, I, I believe that they were going to, I always believe that they would do a replacement and I always believed it was going to be Daniel Cormier. I mean, I you know, it was my opinion. I, I believe I believe that there were it was either going to be John Jones, depending on what happened, you know, with when he turned himself in, what the court system found for him, and what did the UFC decide for him. But I believe the UFC couldn't make a decision until they got their hands wrapped around it. They were learning as they went as the whole thing went along, and uh, you know. But I believe based upon the decision of the UFC. If that it was not John, that they would find another opponent for him. But you know, I, he just fought Gus, so it wasn't going to be Gus. And although Ryan Bader's on a four-fight winning streak and he's uh, definitely making some moves in the division, uh, you know, I I think Daniel Cormier was a logical was the logical first choice for the was the logical first choice. Yeah, no, it's pretty amazing that two of your fighters could become champions on the same night. This could really be... No, no, two of, two of my fighters will become champions <laughs> on that night. This is, yeah, it's really a sort of once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Would you not agree? Yeah, but we don't go into a fight ever thinking we're not going to win. So as far as we're concerned, we're coming out champions. How, how do you see both fights playing out? I mean, both your guys are knockout artists. Do you, you see that happening in both fights? You know, Chris Weidman's a tough guy. He's a big, durable guy. But Vitor uh, is... Uh, really experienced guy and I think that they're very much underestimating Vitor and I think they're going to be in for a big surprise because of that Anthony is a beast and he's like nobody ever and no one has ever fought a man like him until they fought and what I mean by that is everyone said they've taken a hard punch but they've never taken a hard punch like they've taken from Anthony until they've taken it from him and so you know the first shot from Anthony is if, if Anthony doesn't hit you fully it's like getting grazed by a gunshot the second one finishes off. So I have complete confidence in both of them. I believe we're going to walk out the champion. Both of them are going to win. Listen, anything could happen in a fight. But I'm going into both of them believing that we're going to win.
For sure, and a lot of people are are saying, you know, Daniel Cormier's got that wrestling pedigree, but if you look at Anthony Johnson's takedown defense, it's it's pretty damn good. Yeah, like, you know, it's but like what's been said in the past, it's in a wrestling match, it's, an, it's a mixed it's a mixed martial arts fight and uh you know, and John he's he's proven that he could uh definitely wrestle and Anthony's proven he could definitely defend to take that. I, I just you know I want to see what it's like when DC sees, uh, gets connected with some of those punches. For sure. Now let's talk the Ultimate Fighter. The first few episodes have aired already. What are your thoughts on how they've they've been put together, editing wise? Uh, you know, I'm pretty good. I mean, I think the UFC and uh, Fox have done a really good job, and uh, you know, there's a couple of little things missing, like when they did the. Um, the story of how the Black Stallions came together, there was a lot more to it, but the edit came out with, well, there's four guys from, you know, that left America top team, and then there's Rashad, so why not? But there was, like, a whole lot of conversation prior to that that didn't make the edit, but outside of that, I think they did a really good job. I thought the show looked great, and uh, I think the season just continues to continue to just keep getting better and better for the fans. Well, explain it to us then. I mean, without going in-depth in an hour here, but uh, explain to us basically how it came together with what they sort of edited out. Well, I mean, George Santiago basically said it after the fight, after the show uh, the other night. You know, George, George made a decision to leave America Top Team as a, on the management side early on. And um, I, I basically met up with Rashad, and I was helping Rashad with, with some management. And Mountie Kawa said, hey, and I talked, and he said, hey, you have a shot. I have John. Why don't we come together? So for a very brief time, we were working together as a team. And Mountie said to me, hey, listen, you know what? Uh, Yuri Villafort and Danilo, Danilo Villafort have been reaching out to me. We should meet with them. At this point, Dan already warned me not to talk to any of his fighters. And I told him I wouldn't. I wouldn't talk to anyone who was on the contract. That was on the contract with I told him, no problem, Dan, you have my word. I won't talk to anyone that's on a contract with you. So I told Malky, he said, listen, if anyone is on a contract with Dan, I made a commitment to them, I don't want to talk. And he said they weren't. So they came to my house. They brought their families. George was there. Jay-Z was there. They were there to support Danilo and Yuri. Danilo and Yuri had their father, their brother, and some friends. And they all came over. First thing I said is, do you have contracts with ATT? Danilo says no. Yuri said he did. I looked at Yuri and said, I can't even talk to you. I made a promise to Dan, and I'm going to honor that promise. And he said, no, no, it's okay. We met with Labario. Labario said it's okay because, you know, we need help. As long as we train there and pay our fee, it's okay because we need help with sponsorships and, you know, and some other stuff because, you know, we need help there. And I said, yeah, well, that's well and great, but as long as you have a contract with America Top Team, I can't talk to you. And uh, make a very long story short, they came to his house, Laborio drove back. Danilo told me that Laborio drove back to his house the next day and said that Dan told them that they're either 100% in or 100% out. And if you know Danilo Villafort, that's like not something you tell Danilo Villafort. He got upset, and the four of them, they said, why? And they said, that's how Dan wanted it. So Danilo, Jay-Z, Yuri, George, and Danilo's father, who's a high-level black belt, He's older now. He's in his uh, early 80s, late 70s. They all went to lunch, and they made a decision to leave. And the reason they were upset was Danilo's father 
He's the one who gave Labario his red and black belt back in Brazil. They were very close. They were very close. So this wasn't like, you know, just, you know, typical coach, master, you know, and student relationship. So uh, they decided they were going to go train in Danilo's gym. Danilo was a partner in 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 the gym, but it was ATT Doral. And even though ATT didn't own any of it, the ATT name was on it. As as Danilo told me, Dan contacted uh, his partners, Danilo's partners, and said, you're going to either take that name off of the, you're going to either take that name off the building or I'm going to take it off. I'm, I'm not going to let you use it anymore or you got to get rid of Danilo. So they basically threw all Danilo's stuff in the garbage and changed the locks. So they had no place to train and they came to me and said, hey, bro, we quit American Tops. I said, why did you do that? They told me the story. I said, you sure you don't want to try to make up with Dan? No, it's too late. We're not going back. So out of the kindness of my heart, I found a place for them to train. I helped rent them a warehouse. It was, it was a gym. It had mats, had a cage. They didn't, but it had no members. Never planned to get into the business. I was just trying to help poor guys out. At the same time, Rashad left Jackson's because of the well-publicized issue with John Jones. Rashad was here. He went over to the gym to train with them just because he happened to be in town. Rashad never left Florida. The rest is history. Wow. Do you have issues with uh, Jackson's? I didn't have issues with Jackson's because, that. I mean, I talked to Greg many times after that because you know, Rashad left before I even started anything. Like, he was gone for weeks before this even, I even started anything. But according to Dan, he said that uh, Greg doesn't like me. But Greg never told it to my face. So, you know, that's a shame, but yeah. that's life, you know. Some, Definitely. Some people tell you to your face, some people don't. Some people don't. And the guy who tells it to your face is ATT co-owner Dan Lambert. But it, from the sounds of what you're saying, it stems back way more than just him. It's more so the fighters than than it, his hate is more so towards the fighters than it is yourself. No, but he can't hate the fighters because if he says he hates the fighters, then he looks like he's being, a, you know, an asshole. So instead, he has to direct his hatred towards me because otherwise, everyone's going to say, "How dare you hate the fighters?" So instead, he has to say, oh, "I don't hate them. I hate." It's good. I hate Glenn because what he did was wrong. He, he went about it all the wrong way. You have to start at the bottom. You have to work your way up. I never intend to get in the business. I never plan to start at the bottom. I never plan to work my way up. I never plan to be in the business. I'm guessing you're glad you and did, though. But when I, you know, well, I'm glad I did from the sense that I made some a lot of great bonds and, it's, you know, gone off and, and worked in a really, you know, we've done well for ourselves. But, you know, when Dan continues to say this whole, I should have started at the bottom, work my way up crap, you got to ask yourself this. Where did the name American Top Team come from? It came from Brazilian Top Team. Which came first, American Top Team or Brazilian Top Team? Brazilian Top Team. Where did the logo come from? Which came first, American Top Team's logo or Brazilian Top Team's logo? Brazilian Top Team. Where did Labario come from? Did he grow from the sands of earth miraculously in front of Dan? No. Dan found him when he came over, when Labario came over to visit Conan. But wait, let's take it even back a step further. Mario Sperry, Labario, Mario Bustamante, and another guy decided to leave Carlson Gracie and start their own gym. So they left Carlson to start their own gym. How dare them leave Carlson, right? <laughs> right? And then 
one of them leaves, basically goes to Lavario, leaves Brazilian top team to come over to America and start American top team. Now, there's a whole story on how it happened, and I'm not going to get into all that, but if you talk to the original members of Brazilian top team, it wasn't done under nice or good circumstances. So did he find his own coach that he groomed from the beginning? No. Did he find it? How did he get his name, his logo? Come on. We are. So what he's really saying is that I should have all the failures he did because he's worked for 11 years and he's groomed absolutely nobody to win a title. And the first guy who wins a title wasn't even from American Top Team from the beginning. Yeah. So, you know, what is he, so what's your point, Dan? I should start from the bottom and have the same pain you had for 11 years? I didn't put people on private jets and I didn't give fighters American Express cards. So... Sorry, you know, I don't, I'm sorry I didn't do the same things you did. Sorry I didn't start from the bottom like you did, but I started from the bottom my own way. I went to the ra- I rented a warehouse and helped a bunch of guys and it grew. I put the right coaches in place. Then he tells me about not being a fighter. Okay, was, was every owner of every basketball team, did they play pro ball? Every owner of every football play- team, did they play pro football? You got to be smart enough to put the right coaches around the guys. And put the right people around them from every aspect of the game. Nutrition, technical, sports, strength and conditioning. And you win. And if you put the right people around them, you win fights. Just because I didn't get hit in the face for 10 years doesn't mean I don't know what the hell I'm doing. So his arguments are asinine. And you know what you got to do? you gotta have your, you got to have your friends play a drinking. Every time Dan says the word douchebag, over the course of the season, they take a drink. They'll be trash every, every <laughs> by the end of the season. They'll be so they were drunk they won't even know what they're talking about. You you obviously have seen him more during the filming of this show than than you have um, over the course of your time with Black Zillions. Did this make you bring out the hate even more? I, I, I didn't I didn't hate Dan then, and I really don't hate hate him now. Hate's a big word. Yeah. I, I hate the way, I hate the way he's gone about things. I hate the way he's not told the truth. I hate the way he's manipulated history for his benefit. But you know, do I truly hate him as a person? That's that's a big word. You know, yeah, I mean, sure. and he'll tell you he hates me. I'm a douchebag. I'm a douchebag before I started. I'm a douchebag after I started. I'll be a douchebag. You know what I mean? But that's because you know he talks like an asshole. But. Yeah, but the bottom line is, you know, I I respect what he did, actually, for MMA when he started. I really do. I think I have a lot of respect for what Dan did in MMA when he first started. And um, I think he did a lot of good for the sport. And uh, I just don't respect how he handled this entire situation. And I'm getting a lot of enjoyment out of the fact that we're succeeding at a high level. And, you know, I, I wouldn't normally wouldn't gloat, but... <laughs> as we do better and better, I will, have, you know, I, I do get enjoyment out of the fact that it bothers. When when asked to do the show initially, what was the thought process? I think I think you touched on it a little bit in the first episode, but but were you in it from the get go, or did it take a bit of coaxing? A chance to uh, show that my fighters with less experience could beat his fighters with a fun experience. No, I, was, I was I was ready to go. Nice. So you got to look. Most most of my guys, except for a few, they have three, three, four, five, six fights. Most of his fighters have ten, twelve, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, twenty fights. 
what what when you're making the decision process in, in that room where you have all the coaches together, I, I've seen a lot of people on Twitter and Facebook and whatnot say how how cool it is to see, you know, you're still you're just sitting back. You're not trying to give your complete opinion on anything. You let your coaches do that job. Um, what was it like in the room making those picks for who fights each week? Well, you know, we work as a family, we work as a team. I listened to what everyone had to say, but at the end of the day, I, I made the final decision based, but I used, I did it based upon what everyone had to say. Yeah. Now, on social media as well, are you are you getting more trolls out there than than you normally would? Yeah, there's always a couple of guys, uh, crazy people out there on social media, but you know what? That's part of social media. Now, finally, you only you- give them life if you only give them life if you if you answer them. Exactly. Yeah, for sure. Now, finally, before I let you go here, you've had plenty of fighters and coaches um, come and go with the Black Zillions. Are there any that you wish had stuck around? Um, Coaching-wise, you know, Van Arsdale was a great coach, but, you know, he just, you know, had to be in Arizona, so it just was not meant to be. I mean, he didn't leave because he was a bad coach. Uh, he's actually, he's an incredible coach, just, uh, just circumstances weren't right. Um, Mario Sparrow is a great jiu-jitsu coach. Just, there's a lot of coaches just, it didn't, it was, just, it didn't fit for one reason or another, but you know, we're still close to Mario Sperry and I, Mario and I love Mario and Mario is still a black zillion and always will be, you know, and, uh, but it just, you know, for for a number of reasons, and he had, you know, he had a he had a, he had a bunch of businesses. And we're a very tough culture to come into. We're a very tough culture because everyone is extremely close. So we're a very tough culture to come into because we don't have 122 fighters and we keep it that way. So we're a tough culture to come into. Um, you know, so I'm happy for who's here. Fighter wise, anyone that's left has mostly been by our own accord. It's been because we told him to leave. <laughs> he is Glenn Robinson. He is the owner of Black Zillions in Florida. Just let people know where they can get a hold of yourself in the social media universe and anyone else you'd like to give a shout out to. Uh, well, if you want to read, if you want to get me on Twitter, it's at Glenn MMA, G L E N N MMA. And listen, uh, just shout out to my team. I thank them for everything they do for uh, for for me. I appreciate it and respect it. And to my son Anthony Johnson, can't wait to see you win the title. Thanks a bunch, Glenn. Good luck on the rest of the season of Tough as well as UFC 187. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Joining me now is a man who is a member of the Tough Nations cast and a true veteran of the Canadian MMA scene. Please welcome Ragin, Cajun, Johnson to Suck Radio. Cajun, thanks for joining me today, man. My pleasure, man. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's it's always nice to chat with, you know, Canadian talent. I saw, however, uh, you're craving the pizza and the burgers and the whatnot. Uh, how's, the weight, <laughs> <laughs> how's the weight cut been? Uh, actually, it's been really good, man. Like, it's one of the easiest cuts so far. Um, I took some some unnecessary stuff out of uh, out of my regimen here. I'm working with a with a, a bunch of new trainers, and uh, it's it's amazing. It's amazing. So, is it a, a, a different nutritionist? You're just looking at uh, sort of the way you go into the camp a little bit differently. 
Yeah, not really the nutrition factor. Like, I'm not working with a nutritionist this time. I've got one um, that that I can call if I need help or something, but, uh, like, the one that worked with me last time, she's amazing. It's just I've done this so many times that it's, it's not even necessary, you know? But um, uh, more than anything, I just took out all the lifting that I was doing. I was doing a lot of lifting for the last camp, and uh, I'm focusing a lot more on martial arts, man. If you're being efficient... Uh, in your movements and in your technical abilities, then uh, conditioning isn't as much of a factor. For sure. Now, before we get to your fight and, and fighting and MMA in general this past weekend, obviously Manny Pacquiao, Floyd Mayweather, I saw a couple of people debating with you on Twitter about the fight and, and boxing in general. From a boxing standpoint, it was a good fight. From an MMA fan's perspective, these guys just don't seem to get it. What were your thoughts on what was dubbed as the fight of the century? Uh, well, I think it was definitely the promotion of the century. Um, <laughs> I thought it was an incredible display of defensive ability and the ability to outsmart an opponent. Now, that's not very entertaining to the average fan, but that's because the average fan has no idea all of the little tiny details that are going on in that fight. You know, the if you really understand boxing and if you really understand martial arts even, then you'll be very, very intrigued at what Mayweather is able to do. So it just really, if you if you hate that fight, it really kind of speaks to your level of knowledge more than anything. Well, and on I guess on your timeline and my timeline on Twitter, it's it's generally MMA fans that are there. And these guys are watching the UFC and mixed martial arts, and the scoring system is completely different. I think they just don't understand the difference between MMA and boxing. Yeah, well, that's part of it. And also, you're looking at 100 years of evolution to create Floyd Mayweather. You know, he's the third generation. So if I have a son, and I teach him everything, and then he has a son and he teaches him everything, well, then now you will see somebody that's at Floyd Mayweather's level in this sport. You know what I mean? So, like, all the greats, anything at the very highest level is usually not as exciting to the layman. If you look at George St. Pierre's, uh, a lot of his late, later fights in his career, um, since the, the Matt Serra fight, he, he got knocked out by Matt Serra. He must have realized something. You can't go to war with everybody. So you got to be a smarter fighter. The most important thing in martial arts is not dying. Yeah. If you die, it's over. No matter if you finish the guy, if you don't finish the guy, if you just defend yourself until he can no longer continue attacking and he gets tired and leaves, whatever the outcome is doesn't really matter as long as you survive. Survival is key. So if you have a very dangerous style of fighting, a fighting style that that lends itself to the ability to get caught, well, you're rolling the dice. And uh, people that are smart don't want to roll the dice. You did roll the dice in your last fight. I don't want to take you back to a negative thought, but in your Octagon debut, which this was, it happened in front of your hometown crowd. Did you have a ton of jitters leading up to this? And, and do you remember the entire thing, or was it sort of a blank out for you? Uh, no, I remember everything. Um, and I had some jitters, but like not unnecessarily, like not abnormal amount of jitters. You know, it was pretty normal. And uh, I just employed the wrong strategies. 
I didn't use my body correctly. I didn't use my, my gifts correctly. And I employed the wrong types of theories and philosophies towards fighting, towards martial arts. And I didn't understand the truth behind martial arts, the truth of martial arts. And uh, now I am a lot closer to knowing at least my truth because it's different for everybody. And people can tell you how to fight. A million people can tell you how to how they fight. But only you can figure out how you have to fight. And I believe that I'm beginning to do that now. So the loss brought a perspective to yourself. Yes. Anytime that I face failure, anytime that I lose or that I don't achieve a, thing, a, a certain goal, uh, I'm always able to find the lessons within it. And that's what leads to wisdom. And that's what wins fights. I know you didn't realize right off the bat that you had won a bonus in that fight. What was it like when you found out you were $50,000 richer? Oh, it was pretty wicked. I was <laughs> so upset. Like, I, I even double-checked, too. I double-checked with UFC. I'm like, yo, you guys need me at the press conference? They're like, no, it's all good. You're fine. You can go home. I was like, oh, so that means I get no bonus. Okay, whatever. <laughs> go home. I don't know how I'm going to eat for the next, how long it's going to take for me to get another fight again. <laughs> I was so upset. And then I'm sitting in my hotel room and my homeboy Darcy McBride texts me. It's like, bro, you just won 50 grand. I was like, no way. Don't mess with me. Don't mess with me on this. He's like, bro, I wouldn't mess around with $50,000. You got the bonus. You're $50,000 richer. I went nuts. It was insane. What'd you do so with happy. the money? Uh, just basic stuff, man. Like I did, I'm not, I'm not a crazy flamboyant guy. I'm never going to be no Floyd Mayweather, you know. So I, I bought a little car. Uh, I moved to a to a nicer building, and I've had some money to live off for the last year, you know. Because yeah, I made fifty thousand dollars, but that's all I made that last year, you know. So it's been almost a year now that I haven't bought. So. Um, I'm definitely not out of money. I have money still. I've still got a bunch saved. But, uh, yeah, it's definitely time to go and re-up. Having, having the fact that that was a fight of the night honor, um, do you think that's what gave you the opportunity to get another shot inside the octagon? I think that was part of it. But I don't think the UFC would have cut me uh, after that loss. I Like, regardless of... Unless I just went and completely like laid and prayed on the guy or something and lost, like unless I looked terrible in the in the fight, I don't think they would have cut me because uh, I think they really like me. I think they're really just waiting for me to win so they can start moving me up quickly. For sure, it seems like they're they're actually starting to to push Canadian fighters a little more as this year progresses. We see that with OAM. Um... You know, and and Matt Dwyer's got a big fight coming up, and hopefully we get to see Sarah Morris. But, you know, it seems like they're pushing these Canadians a little bit more. Hopefully that leads to them coming back to Canada a little bit more. Yeah, I hope so. Like, it's always nice to fight on uh, on Canadian soil because you have to to pay away less taxes. So I always like that. (laughs) For sure. Now you're fighting on the upcoming Philippines card against Leping Zhang. Do you know much about this guy? Um, I know a bit, like I've, I've watched some fights. Uh, I saw he watched one top China he used to be a sprinter in the past. Uh, I've seen everything that he's got out there anyway, out, out there on the internet. And, um, yeah, he seems like he's a very game opponent. He's very, he's got some 
great physical attributes. Uh, he seems to be extremely durable. This is actually a very similar opponent to Tyson Ben. So I think that this is just the universe giving me the same lesson and being like, see, have, have you learned or have you not learned? Let's see what you go and do. So I'm going to go and I'm going to prove that I've learned my lessons and I will dispose of them. Do you, so the game plan going into this fight will be much different than your last one, but preparation-wise, fairly similar? Um, it's actually the opposite. Uh, my preparation was very different for this fight. Um, but the game plan uh, with guys of this type of skill set uh, is very, very similar. Um, a little bit different than, than it was before, but my preparation for this is what has changed more so than my approach to the actual fight. Uh, I've changed the way I train completely. Um, I don't do as much. I believe that less is more. And uh, I focus, like even before, I focus very highly on technique, but even more so now. I do much less sparring. I do much more play fighting and, uh, and, and, and light stuff and making sure that my body is, stays uninjured, that my body stays healthy, um, and that all of my skills are sharp because I'm never going to be um, stronger and faster and more durable than every single fighter out there. It's not going to happen. So if I put myself in a situation where it's a contest of who's tougher or who's stronger or who's faster, I'm at some point I'm going to lose, and it may not be pretty. Uh, so I'm going to rely on my skills because I am definitely more skilled than any of these fighters. Tell me what play fighting is. Uh, play fighting is just like... Um, they do you do it in people do it in Thailand a lot I hear uh, because they they fight so often they don't really spar it's more like like play sparring like it's like touch and we deal with small gloves at TriStar Gym you like kind of touch the guy lightly or not even really and some people call it like partner shadow boxing where you like simulate striking but it's not real striking so you're a lot more free to explore and experiment and invent because there's nothing bad is going to happen to you. You're not under duress. Um, so if you mess up and you do something wrong, you're not getting head kicked, you're not getting hurt. So a lot of the stress goes out the window. And when you're, when you're stress-free, that's the best, that's the easiest uh, time to create things. And, and my, that's one of my greatest attributes is my ability to be very creative. Uh, so because of that, I've able, been able to completely change my approach to martial arts and, and the way that I use martial arts. That's really cool. And do you think that that, that shows why um, there's not many guys at TriStar that, that come into fights and, and end up, when a fight is announced and end up pulling out due to injury? You don't hear that from TriStar all that often. And there have been a lot of injuries as of late in the UFC. Do you think that this could be part of the reason? Yeah, for us, the approach is far beyond that of any other coach that I've ever seen. I don't, I'm not training at these other gyms, so I don't know exactly what to do. I know a couple people that, that train at places like the lab and stuff like that. And, and even, um, Matt Hume's gym, a lot of these guys spar really hard, man. They spar really hard. They spar with small gloves. They spar with full knees. They, um, and 
the impact that that has on your body, even if it's not immediately, uh, over time, you will, your body will eventually start to break down. And like, you look at a camp like AKA that is just plagued with injuries. And, and then they're also saying that they're a very old school gym and that the best way to train for fighting is fighting. And that is true. If we were just all invincible, um, then fighting every day would be the best thing that we could do. And if you're able, if you are lucky enough to make it through that, then yes, you're going to be an incredible fighter and you're going to be a phenom in the cage. But a lot of people are not going to make it through that. The majority of people are not going to make it through that. I did all that in the past. I grew up in the old school. So I still have that aspect there. I still understand how to do it. I still I have way too much experience um, to need to go in and fight. I know how to fight. What I need to do is learn and create. So that's what I do now. Speaking of, yeah, growing up in that aspect, I know people in the Tough House sort of overlooked you because of your record. I know you've you've won seven of your last nine, but people still see 19, 11, and 1. Do you still get folks assuming you're not UFC caliber? Uh, yeah, it happens sometimes, you know, um, because they they just see the number, right? When you, when you just look at a number and you don't actually analyze uh, the record, anybody that has a brain in their head and actually looks at the record, you just is like win, loss, loss, win, win, loss, loss, win, loss, win, loss, until like 2005. And then it's like, win, 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 Like, there's obviously something changed. And if you think that because I had all these losses when I was a teenager, that when I'm 30, I'm going to be that same person, then maybe you don't know how to evolve. You know? So I don't really worry about it, man. People are going to think what they're going to think. But if you get in there with me, then you're going to understand. And you're in the UFC for a reason. Oh, definitely. I'm, I don't think that's really a fact that's highly contested. I think most people know that I'm in, I'm in the UFC for a reason. And those that don't will know very shortly. Yeah, you said the UFC is... is you're, you're thinking that they're looking to push you along. This guy that you're fighting is 9-8-1. Do you think they're giving you this fight as a very winnable fight to push the name Rage and Cajun Johnson? very possible i i don't know them personally so i can't really speak to that i me and joe silva have never had a single conversation so i can't really tell you what's in his brain but if that would make sense to me that they see that i have potential um they love the way that that i fight i know dana loves the way that i fight uh that i fought in the past anyway we'll see how he likes this new approach but i it's still gonna be exciting so i'm sure he'll love it um but I wouldn't be surprised if they're putting me with him um, so that it's like a, a comeback fight. I, it's like a, a warm-up kind of to the higher levels. If they had, say, thrown me in there with Nergamendov, which wouldn't happen because he's at such a high level right now anyways, but if they had put me with somebody that was much higher ranked um, and much more dangerous, then I would have been like, oh, okay, well, these guys just think I'm a cab. It's going to... Um, give them some exciting fights, but I believe that they they know I have the, I have the skills to really do something, and I definitely have the the personality and the ability to speak and and communicate properly. So I think that they see that I can make them money. 
And that's all it really comes down to with the UFC. If you can make the money, they're going to treat you well. And I know that I can make the money. I believe they do too. So they're going to treat me good. Definitely. This will be your first time fighting in the Philippines. I believe it'll be your first time fighting overseas. What is going through your head in terms of what the experience will be like? Um, I'm just really open to whatever happens, man. I know that whatever situation I get into, I choose to have that situation serve me for the better. So no matter what happens, I'm going to, I'm going to be happy about it and I'm going to accept it. But I know that there's like a 12 hour time difference. So I'm trying to adjust to that a little bit. There's not too much I can do because classes run at TriStar at that time, but I'm trying to stay up a little bit later and wake up a little bit later uh, just to kind of throw my internal clock off a little bit because if my internal clock is set, like it's very rigid, it'll take at least a week to change it. So if I go over there and I'm waking up at eight o'clock at night every night, yeah. you know, it's not a good, it's not a good look. I'm not going to be able to go out there and perform. Who will so, be heading I'm down with you? Oh, sorry. Go on. Oh, no, no, it's fine. Who will be heading down with you to uh, be in your corner? Uh, I'm bringing uh, two of the guys that were with me for my last fight. Uh, minus Faraz. Faraz isn't going to come because he hates flying. <laughs> so <laughs> that's fine. It's all good. He's, he's put enough work in it. I already know what to do. I don't really need anybody there. I just need people that are going to give me good energy. So I'm bringing uh, my striking coach, Johnny Mucciarone, and I'm bringing uh, the butcher, Bill Mahood. Nice. That, that'll that be awesome. Your original coach? Yeah, yeah. He was with me in Vancouver, too. Um so it's it's going to be a great continuation. Let's just say up here in BC, you know, there are plenty of First Nations talent on the local fight cards that we get to see in front of our own crowd at Battlefield, at Warpath, even up at Five Star Fight League. Why do you think, however, there's such a lack of visibility around Canada, around the MMA community of First Nations fighters? Uh, it just comes from really putting everything into it and achieving a level. Um, I got no visibility on my way up and I didn't really start getting visibility until like tough nations, really. Like I had some fights on MSC that aired in the States, you know, but like you don't get much airtime until you're in UFC. And in order to do that, there's a great deal of sacrifice that needs to happen. Uh, so if you want to be in the UFC and you live in Canada, you need to train at a gym that has fighters in UFC. And unless you're doing that, your chances diminish greatly. Because even if you're at the same level as somebody from TriStar or somebody from now someplace like Toshido, um, even if you're at the same level, just having that name behind you makes them look into you a lot more. That was one of the huge reasons that I, I chose to move to TriStar because I knew I had the level, but I needed a name. It's who you know, not what you know. Definitely. And and do you think, I, I know that plenty of uh, local fighters, uh, Canadian-wide, went down for the Ultimate Fighter tryouts earlier, or the last month, and a lot of them ended up coming home. They didn't make the team, or they didn't make the show. Uh, is that reasoning behind it, you think, because they don't have that big name behind them? That's a huge part of it. A huge part of it is the name. And another part of it is uh, is the skill. The sport evolves so quickly. 
It's incredible how fast it evolved. If you're still doing the same things that you did in training last year, you're a year behind. That's how it goes. If you're still drilling the same exact techniques that you did five years ago, you're 10 years behind. It's ridiculous because it's going to take, it's going to take you 10 years to catch up. So if you want to reach the highest level, you got to do what it takes. Like I did. I moved to a place that was going to be able to give, to, to give me knowledge that came from the cutting edge of the sport, that came from the, the cutting edge of the evolution. This, this martial art is evolving way, way too fast to be in a place that doesn't have an expert, an expert that is creating the future, not a, a journeyman that is doing the something he saw on YouTube. <laughs> like people have to really train under masters. If you're not training under a master of marsh, mixed martial arts, not of just jujitsu, not of just wrestling, not of just kickboxing, like it has to be mixed martial arts. And if you're not training under a master, then you're never going to catch up because there's a whole bunch of guys that are. Are you surprised that not that there aren't more of these guys that are at the top of their leagues aren't making the transition to these big camps? Yeah, I'm extremely surprised. Like, I don't know how many people... Have, like, why can you not analyze the situation and see what's happening? How many... UFC fighters right now are from TriStar Gym. I don't even know. I go to that gym. There's like 20 of us. It's crazy. There's so many of us. And then not even just the UFC, though. I mean, you guys have guys in Bellator and Titan and World Series of Fighting. So, I mean, yeah, you you guys have fighters in all the big organizations. Yeah, and what other gym has anybody... That, are at, that is at the highest level throughout the country. There's like one here, one there, one over here, and they've got each got one or two guys, maybe. So it doesn't take a rocket scientist to see that all the good guys are here, so that'll be great sparring. They're obviously evolving and learning because they continue to win in UFC at the highest level. Why would you not just go there? It's incredible to me why they wouldn't make the, make, the, make the jump. We talk about those big-name talents. You train with definitely some beasts of high caliber at TriStar. We all know the big names coming out of there, but what are some of the names that we should be on the lookout for in the coming months and year? Oh, uh, Mandel Nalo. Oh, my God. This kid. He's not, he's not a kid, but he's like 24 or something like that. He is incredible. I've never seen anything like this. Okay, he he's like I call him Crane off of Kung Fu Panda. Like, <laughs> he's so long and so agile. He has so much variety, so much length. He's like six feet tall, 155 pounds, um, flexible as a contortionist, and he's incredibly high level at everything. Eamon Zahabi, all these guys are coming up in the same class. Like, my class is like, like, it's like a school, you know? So 
my class would be like me, Nordin Taleb, Chad LaFries, Olivier Aubin, uh, Roy McDonald, maybe Roy's a, a class ahead, uh, Mike Ricci, um, the, and the class beneath me, who are the up-and-comers right now, it's um, Louis Sanadakis, uh, Eamon Zahabi, Mandel Nalo, these guys, those three specifically, are easily the best in their weight class in our gym. Like, Mandel gets in my ass in sparring. He's <laughs> my hardest round in the gym of any weight class. Um, Eamon Zahabi is probably the most well-rounded fighter that we have, period. Period. Of all weight classes, pound for pound. Louie is the best jujitsu guy we have, period, that trains full-time. Like, I'm not talking about guys like Ryan Hall that come in and go out, but that of just the guys that live and train at TriStar, Louie is the best jujitsu guy there. And these guys... Nobody even really knows about them yet. Well, Eamon, because of the name, but people don't even know yet. But they're going to know pretty quick, and it's going to be amazing. So these guys, you think, will be in the UFC, probably without the ultimate fighter? Uh, yes, yeah. They won't need the ultimate fighter, but they may use it to get on. I think the ultimate fighter is a great way to get in because they've changed their contract structure now. So winner gets a three-fight contract, which is pretty decent money. It still adds up to uh, like around a hundred grand, a little bit over, I think. Um, but it's a three fight deal. It's not like the old 10 fight deal, hundred, hundred thousand dollar contract. So I think it's a great way to get in. You get a whole bunch of exposure and they'll take care of you a lot more once you're there because they've already put a whole bunch of marketing into you, a whole bunch of money into marketing you. Um, so I think the, the ultimate fighter is a great way to get in. So if any of them could get in that way, I would suggest that they do that. Finally, before I let you go here, something I wanted to bring up a little earlier. You are a veteran of the sport. You have a ton of fights under your belt, but only you'll only have two in the UFC once this uh, Reebok deal comes into play. How's that going to affect you with, uh, you know, you're a guy who has sponsorships under your belt and whatnot. How do you think the Reebok deal will affect you? Uh, well, the Reebok deal is already affecting me in a negative way. Um, the amount of sponsorship that I'm able to get uh, for this Manila card is maybe an eighth of what I got last time because all of these large MMA companies that were sponsoring fighters have pulled out because it's not worth paying $100,000 for a year if that year is actually going to be five or six months. You know, So it's just not worth it for them. So they're not sponsoring anybody. Um, that made me take a huge hit on sponsorship. Also, me, it being in the Philippines plays a part. Um, so, I've uh, taken a hit already and I think be, it depends on how they pay the, they structure the pay really. Like I know they were going to do it with rankings first and now they're doing it with fights. So one to five fights gets paid a certain amount. Yeah. I think if they combine these two methods somehow, I don't know exactly what that would look like, but I think it would paint a much be- a better picture of where the person is and what they are actually worth. Because marketing is completely different as well. Like, that's a whole other thing. Um, there are certain fighters out there that are incredibly marketable and actually 
put a lot of effort into building their own brand, marketing themselves as a fighter, putting themselves out there so that people will know them because they know that the more people that know them, the more money that they can make in whatever thing that they're wanting to do. Um, and then there's a lot of guys that just go in and fight, like the Demetrius Johnsons, which is cool if that's what you want to do. But I think that I know that I can get compensated for my ability to market myself with sponsorship. And unfortunately, with this new Reebok deal, that's out the window. Like, that doesn't even come into into play in the situation. It's too bad so, because, as yourself, you're saying you are marketable, and, and you could be marketable outside the octagon. Yes, exactly. Um, and I will continue to do that. Like, regardless of whatever the UFC does, I'm going to make money. I don't care. I would like it if they made it easier for me to make money, but regardless of what they do, I'm going to make money. You, if they, I can't get sponsors inside USC, I'll get sponsors outside USC. I've already got a couple deals in the works right now where instead of companies sponsoring me, uh, they just give me a percentage of their company. So that's going to create residual income for me for as long as that comp- company wow. is prosperous. You know, so um, taking approaches like that, uh, it, it kind of takes out the power that um, that the UFC has over you. Do you feel with the Reebok deal that once guys are actually in the UFC, because you know you're not going to need that management to uh, to find you sponsors and whatnot? Do you feel like it's almost a percentage of your money that's wasted having a manager? Uh, well, I, a lot of managers, I believe, are restructuring the way uh, the percentages that they're getting because now they know that the the biggest part of their job is gone. So um, managers, you don't really need one now. Sometimes it's nice to have one to help you handle paperwork and just do odds and ends, stuff that you don't want to deal with, printing, the dumb stuff, you know? Um, So it's helpful. Uh, I will probably continue to keep a manager on, but it's not going to be with the same percentage rate. Definitely not. Unless that person can get me a deal with Reebok. Because that's another way um, that this could end up being good for me. Uh, the whole, my whole ability to promote myself and, and, uh, and market myself and brand myself may just turn into me being sponsored by Reebok. That's what I would like to happen. And then I'll be making money anyway, so I won't care. He is Cajun Johnson. He's fighting at the Mall of Asia Arena in the Philippines on May 16th against Li Peng Zhang. Cajun, it's been a pleasure, man. Just let people know where they can get a hold of you in the social media universe, as well as any sponsors that you have right now that you want to give shout-outs to. Okay, so uh, if you want to check me out online, uh, first place to go would be my website, www.ragenmma.com. And I'm also on Twitter at I am Ragin. I'm on Instagram at the T H A Ragin, and then the number one, the Ragin one. And uh, check out my Facebook page as well, my fan page. It's Ragin Cajun Johnson. And I would like to shout out my sponsors, K2 Room, the Altitude Room here in Montreal, um, Premier Performance Montreal, uh, ResellCure.com. And yeah, I think that's it for right now. Like I said, taking a bit of a hit here. 
No kidding. Cajun, it's been awesome, man, and good luck in the Philippines, buddy. Okay, thanks a lot, bro. Well, that is that. Another edition of Sucker Radio in the books. Make sure you follow MMA Sucker on Twitter, at MMA Sucker. Follow myself on Twitter, at JeremyBrand604. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash MMA Sucker. Make sure you check out ProAmBelts.com if you're in need of a championship belt or anything like that, belt-wise. Check out ProAmBelts. They got specials each and every month, and uh, you can get yourself a nice, rockin', crystal clear championship belt. Check out ProAmBelts.com. That is about it from this side of the microphone. Enjoy the fights this weekend, and with that, I'm out. We collaborate. Mikey Rock and Jeremy Brandis, we reactivate. Brand creates the show for the fans, and it's magnanimous. Jerry's out decision, and yes, it's unanimous. It's the radio, it's the, it's the radio, sucker, sucker radio. It's the radio, it's the, it's the radio, sucker, sucker radio. It's the radio, it's the, it's the radio, sucker, sucker radio. Come and listen, it's about that time. Yes, download the show and you can stream online. It's the radio, it's the, it's the radio, sucker, sucker radio. It's the radio, it's the, it's the radio, sucker, sucker radio. It's the radio, it's the, it's the radio, sucker, sucker radio. Come and listen, it's about that time. Yes, download the show or you can stream online. Out. <laughs>